Welcome to the Directions Mag Geo Inspirations podcast series with Joseph Kursky. Well, greetings, folks. Joseph Kursky here. Glad you're with us. I'm here with one of my all-time favorite people, Dr. Timothy Hawthorne of the University of Central Florida. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Joseph. I'm glad to be here, and hello to your audience. Uh, it's a great audience. It's, it's, it's really an audience that cares about geospatial teaching, learning, research, and different career pathways. So it's, it's going to be great for them to hear about your story. Now, I think most people in the land of geospatial technology know you, but for the benefit of folks that may not know who you are, if you could outline and describe a little bit of what you're doing now and then how you got there. Sure, absolutely. So um, first of all, I am an assistant professor of GIS at the University of Central Florida here in Orlando, Florida. And uh, go Knights, we are a very large university of 67,500 students. And in addition to my role here at UCF, I am also the state of Florida geography steward with the National Geographic Education Network. Um, as far as kind of my, my interest in research and teaching, I'm really heavily involved in participatory GIS and citizen science. Essentially any sort of GIS and geospatial technology work that is responsive to the needs of communities. So we do a lot of work with NGOs, a lot of work with community partners and just everyday, um, as we call them everyday extraordinary citizens um, that have a lot of really interesting spatial knowledge that is sometimes missed in, in GIS and official statistics and quantitative data sets. We're really emphasizing um, the stories of people in what we do through our work at Citizen Science GIS. Yeah, and you know, I was down there, gosh, about 15 months ago with, with you all. And just for the benefit of the listeners here, folks, it was one of those, you know, days that you could, it's one of those golden days. And it's just a typical day in the life of Dr. Hawthorne. I mean, we had, you brought, what, 375 students to the <laughs> campus that day? <laughs> yeah, we typical day, 375 school kids, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was for GIS Day, and it was just, uh, I, I think, a perfect sort of encapsulation of what you're all about. You're not just, even though that would be awesome too, influencing your own faculty cohort, your research uh, cohort there at UCF, your, your own students, but you're always thinking outside the university, outside the box, really, of even discipline. So how did you sort of get to this point in your career where you're, you are thinking multidisciplinary and outside uh, normal, you know, sort of institutional boundaries? Yeah, I think a couple things. I think first and foremost, my own undergraduate training back at Ohio Wesleyan University in Delaware, Ohio. Um, I was there from 1999 to 2003. And, you know, I, I can't speak highly enough of the liberal arts training. It creates an interdisciplinary mindset. So, um, the lessons I learned at OWU stick with me to this very day, and I was very fortunate back then um, to work with an amazing faculty member by the name of Dr. John Krieger. Um, John was heavily involved and is still heavily involved in participatory GIS research and, and the kind of ideas that I'm doing. And I always like to say, I'm just trying to be John Krieger, really, honestly. Um, <laughs> lessons that he taught me all those years ago have, have really stuck with me. And he, he really emphasized in those early courses I took that what you do should matter to people outside of your field, right? It's, it's not just good enough to write a thesis or a dissertation or a paper that's going to be read by specialists that know exactly what you know, but how do you make that accessible? 
And so those kind of messages early on really stuck with me. And, and ever since, and I, I became a faculty member in 2010 after getting my PhD at Ohio State, um, you know, ever since then, in those eight to nine years of being a faculty member, everything has been focused on people. Everything has been focused on how do we communicate our science to a mass audience? Because again, you know, what is, what is our purpose? And as, as faculty, to me, the purpose is first and foremost, engaging with our students. But I think the secondary purpose is to make sure our students and our own work as faculty leaders is responsive to society, right? How do we go beyond the ivory tower? How do we engage with communities in work that actually matters? And that's really what it's all about for us and the team that we lead here at UCF. That is awesome, sir. And that's a great encouraging note for students that may say, you know, I'm at this, no matter what size it is, liberal arts college, what kind of pathway can I have? Is it really valuable to be studying that sort of stuff in the 21st century? And you're just confirming what you and I tell them, right? Yes, it's absolutely important that you're studying history and art and, and uh, philosophy and uh, environmental studies and all kinds of different things. So that adds so much to your, your perspective, right, going forward. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the one thing I always like to say, especially to students out there, is this notion that um, problems in the society and the environment are, are so complex that no one discipline has all the answers, right? So to be able to get in a team with five people, for example, that, that think very differently than you or in a trained very differently with you, that's where the real magic and the real creativity happens. And, you know, I, I don't really enjoy working with five people that think just like me. Um, you know, I want five people that are very different than me so we can bounce ideas off of one another and really try to come at something from a creative new new space. And that's that to me is what um, is really powerful about the interdisciplinary nature of the kind of work that we do. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that, too. It seems to me that we're at this point in geospatial science and related fields that um, we really are getting, maybe in part because of the web and the whole opening it up of you know data and tools to people that traditionally didn't do this sort of thing, but it's really added a lot of value right to our conversations. We're not just talking to planners and geographers and in, you know in your case sociology geography. We're 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 really inner inner well working together with more a more diverse community. There's still long way we can go for sure, but. It is encouraging. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Dr. H, I was wondering, um, since we have just come out of uh, working your work with the Oceans Forum, if you could describe that a bit. What did you do there and what is the Oceans Forum and so on? Sure. Yeah. So I had the really great privilege of serving as the keynote speaker for this year's Oceans Forum at Esri headquarters out in Redlands. Uh, it was honestly an honor of a lifetime to be, you know, I'd been to several of those events in the past with my students and my research team and to be up on the big stage and, and have that audience um, listen and being excited about what we were doing was really, uh, really fun because I love st sharing our story. Um, I love being able to talk about what we do with communities. And so at that event, I was able to serve as the keynote speaker. And in that, in that talk, I focused on um, what the title of the talk, I believe, was The Power of Everyday Extraordinary People in Geospatial Technologies Research. And again, the emphasis on, on that is about the people. And, and I think another key element of that was 
the emphasis on the golden rule. That's right, the golden rule. The golden rule that we all learned back in watching Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and going to um, grade school, um, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And, and I took that and I kind of said, okay, if we're, if we're gonna be doing research that matters and has impact with communities and is listening to communities, what is the core value? What is the core takeaway from these interactions? And it's not the technology, right? The technology is a means to tell the story, but the, the key element of working with people in community-based research and, and in the story that I was telling at Esri Oceans was the notion that people are what matter to science. And, and every interaction we have with a, with a non-academic researcher, a non-academic community member that, that serves as a citizen scientist in the research that we do, we have to be um, listening to them, we have to be responsive to them and recognizing that they are the holders of the best knowledge about the thing that we're studying. So in, in that, the, the thing that we were studying in this talk was the work we do down in Belize in Central America. And so we were sharing um, our interview data with um, flooding and disaster management in Hopkins Village, Belize in a community that we work through our National Science Foundation grant. We were also sharing the stories of um, coastal and island changes from our drone mapping work along the, the world's second largest reef in the Belize Barrier Reef System. And again, all of that was focused on the stories of people in their changing environment. So it was a really cool way to share a little bit more about um, how people can inform science. Indeed. How many years have you been going down to Belize? I've been working for Belize. This is the beginning of my eighth year in Belize. That is fascinating. And Dr. Hawthorne here, folks, has sent us some links. I highly encourage you to look at uh, Citizen Science GIS and the work that they're doing in Belize and Florida and beyond. Thanks for sharing that. You touched on this a little bit earlier with uh, Dr. Krigier about uh, you know, your, your influences of the past and, and at present. Is there any other you know, book, class, person that has particularly inspired you in your geospatial science journey? Two things come to mind. First is my PhD advisor, Dr. Maypo Kwan, which many of your listeners will know. She's a prolific scholar in feminist GIS and critical GIS. Um, what, what was really interesting in, in studying with her for four and a half years then at Ohio State was this, this commitment that she had to testing the limits of GIS, right? Taking it beyond just sort of a quantitative statistical toolkit, but really showing how you can represent people, emotions, affect, and just sort of everyday experiences of individuals as they traverse through space. And so that really stuck with me, um, the training that she provided um, as well. The, as far as books, um, I could probably list you you know, tens of tens of hundreds of books in geography and GIS that have inspired me, um, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna focus on another book that has inspired me, um, and that's sort of the works of Fred Rogers. So all all of the um, work of Mr. Rogers that many of your listeners grew up on, just reading through some of his kind of life lessons. I was gifted that book um, when I graduated from my PhD program by my wife. And, um, you know, I grew up watching Fred Rogers and lived those lessons. And, and what stuck with me, there was a quote from him, and that was the, the quote about what he remembers most about highly successful people. And it wasn't the success and the material things. It was about the fact that they really loved what they were doing and they shared that with others. So that quote, um, for me, solidified my interest in community-based research. Um, and it really helped me see that 
when we share our message of what we do with Citizen Science GIS and we share that emphasis on people, that we're just trying to really be really positive, passionate, and excited about what we do because that, that passion hopefully will inspire others and show them that you can use GIS for good as we all know and that you can include people that are not necessarily trained in GIS in the data collection and the analyses you're doing through you know, Esri products like Collector and ArcGIS Online and things like that that we use in our work as well. So that's, that's what it was all about for me um, as well. So probably not the answer you were expecting, but one that um, hopefully your listeners, listeners will enjoy. Indeed, sir. You're touching on so many wonderful things here. Number one, I visited the University of Illinois where Dr. Kwan is located now, as you know, and uh, gosh, you could just see those students thriving up when you have a professor like that that just lets them fly, right? As I know you are, you can just see it. And so that was a huge pl uh, pleasure to be working with her, even just for a day. And then she had me back as a, a sort of remote guest in her business GIS course. So influencing the business school, which is really exciting as we try to you know, broaden and deepen the, the spatial thinking and geotechnologies on a campus. But like you're saying, it's not about the technology. It is about making a positive difference. And that's another thing that I think you exemplify so well in this, in this field, and, and that is it kind of reminds me what David DiBiase wrote about a year ago, don't teach GIS, you know, and that title was meant to sort of get people, wait a minute, what? You know, a guy, guy works for Esri. How can you say that? Well, his point was, as I think you're, you're, you're hinting at, it's like we need to be teaching about how to deal with data and how to solve problems and how to even ask questions, right, about what problems exist in our world and why we need to tackle them. So I really like what you're saying there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's one of the really cool things, you know, the work that I do, I, I keep saying we and our, um, everything we do is, is highly um, student centered. And we have a huge amount of students working with us, especially undergraduates. And I think what's really cool in, in seeing them kind of grow and, and inspire others is their ability to communicate ideas in a simple fashion right not using the big buzzwords that everybody uses but really trying to break down concepts so they're understandable and then also importantly as i said earlier really listening to people that we're researching with the community partners the ngos the 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 local fishermen in belize or the shop owner in the village of hopkins belize and and really listening right because at the end of the day those those stories turn into data that we can use in our gis analyses and, and our web app platforms indeed and as one of many examples of the the, the, the forward-thinking people that have been working with you. We've got Lane Graham now at Esri, and I was just over the moon thrilled when we actually were able to hire her. And I said, gosh, this is the greatest thing. So, I mean, you're just planting such wonderful seeds, sir. Here's another thing that uh, I love about what you're saying, and that is um, you almost never meet anybody in the geospatial, you know, sciences that said, you know, those years I spent with GIS and that community, oh, those were the worst years. I'm out of that now. I've never met anybody like that, right? I mean, they're all, I'm making a positive difference. And they may go into some related field, but they never actually leave GIS. I mean, it's not like the Hotel California, right, where you can't ever leave. <laughs> but they, they go into, I don't know, they start their own solar company or, you know, some, something else that's related and they're using GIS there. So it's, it's just a good testimony for yeah, that, that we're actually ultimately doing this because we feel like we truly can make a positive impact on our planet, which so desperately needs it, as you well know. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things that I always say is I think one of the reasons why it's it's so easy to just continue to be excited and passionate about GIS and why I think people are so responsive to it that maybe don't know about it, but once they learn about it, are excited about it, is of how visual it is, right? The, the ability to, to quickly communicate an idea through a story map, for example, where you don't have to read a 50-page briefing document, but you can get the gist of what it is you're studying in a quick visual format, right? And I think that's something that when I talk to colleagues and I talk to students and community partners, that they just love the visual side of what we do and the ability to um, integrate all kinds of different media into the mapping that we do, the dynamic mapping we do through web, web platforms as well. So yeah, we're, we're all hooked for life. I mean, we're both geo geeks, I think, right? <laughs> so, um, we're hooked like many of your listeners. Oh gosh, indeed, sir. You know, another thing that's resonating with me about what you're saying is that, um, you know, think about, uh, Fred Rogers, and I just read that book, um, one of the biographies of him that came out about a year ago. When he first, um, actually first few years, people were saying, you know, everything that you're not supposed to do in TV, he did, you know, had sort of low end, uh, you know, props. And anyway, the, the prevailing notion was, you know, let's, let's, he, he, he set that all on its head and it worked. And, and so I think one of the messages, one of the many good messages there is, yeah, don't be afraid to if you know in your heart what's right, and he was trained, right? He knew what he was doing. Even if, even if it doesn't go with what a lot of people think you should be doing, do it. If, pursue it and be tenacious, even in the face of, you know, people saying, no, that shouldn't be what you, you should do. So I think it's a good test. My me stuck with it and people eventually realized this guy's right about, about learning and, and, and children and so on. So uh, I, love, I love what you're saying. Another thing that I was going to ask you, sir, is what do you think we need to be working on, you know, given the very vexing, complex issues of our planet and given the, you know, you're touching on the whole web-based GIS and tools and data, open data movement, et cetera, the diversity of the community as it's, it's, it's starting to, to, to spread here to other disciplines. What do you think we need to be working on, especially for those, and I, I know you have some of these students as well. I do have some of these kinds of students at the University of Denver where I'm teaching right now, but it's, I'm in, I'm in mid-career. Uh, is it too late for me to get into geospatial, at least as a tool? Um, and I, of course, you and I say, no, it's never too late. But what, what would you say to those people and also even new undergrads that are Gosh, what is this all about? This is really fascinating. And can I make a, a difference? What do you think we need to be working on? What would you say to those folks? Yeah, absolutely. I think that first and foremost is, I think, going back to the messages of Fred Rogers and things like that, I think it's really important to figure out what it is that you yourself are passionate about. Um, so what I tell my students when they, when they are talking to me about using GIS in their research or their theses and dissertations, I say, well, what is it that keeps you up at night? Right. What is the thing that you worry about? And and oftentimes a student responds with something in the academic sense. And I say, no, that's not what I asked. What do you think about when you're you know, riding your bike, walking your dog, playing with your kids? I was like, that's the thing you probably should study. Right. That thing that keeps nagging at you. Right. And so, you know, that might be I had a former student um, in, in Atlanta when I was at Georgia State University. And he said, well, I'm a bike rider. And when I ride around downtown Atlanta, I'm fearing for my life because of all the traffic and the lack of bike lanes. I said, well, maybe that's what you should study. And so he went away for two weeks and he came back and he said, I want to do a thesis on bike safety and GIS. Um, so I think it's, it's, you know, playing to what is in your heart of hearts, I think, first and foremost. But then beyond that, I mean, some of the bigger topics to me 
um, are also about, first and foremost, anything related to social and environmental injustice anywhere in the world. I think that the idea of GIS and geospatial tech for good, um, that to me, I hope, continues to be a major emphasis. I know Esri is certainly behind that and Esri um, partners and many of your listeners, but if we can keep pushing GIS for good, I think that's a key. Um, clearly, climate change is, a, is another huge issue. I know that was a big theme at the Esri Oceans Forum. Um, and one that our, our team addresses as well. So anything that can be done to explore that at the local all the way up to the global level, I think is hugely important um, as well. So those would probably be my top two. Excellent, thanks for sharing. One of the other things that uh, really impressed me when I was with you face-to-face -face at your natural habitat there at UCF was that you got together Oh, I was like 20 faculty from the School of Education. And since many of us are very passionate about, ooh, how can we get new educators, even at the primary and secondary level, interested in using geospatial technology in their instruction, whether it's about business or economics or math or history or geography. Um, and it's just such a, it was such a rare thing to get that many faculty in the room for any purpose, but especially education faculty, those faculty that influence these pre-service ed teachers, that's been really difficult and challenging for us to try to have any sort of influence. And you having, you know, that passion as well, how, how are you making it work there and how can we somehow replicated at other institutions, being the busy faculty that they all are, and those courses are very packed. Do you have any advice on that part? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and it, again, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, Joseph, and to your listeners, but the golden rule. I mean, I think the first thing is, is meeting teachers where they are and listening to them and recognizing they are the expert of their content, content domain, right? And so, and what I mean by that is I think it's important that we don't just show up and say, here's our bag of tricks, right? Here's the, here's the 15 lessons that we have that you can use, pick one, go for it, right? But I think it's first with listening and saying, what is it that you might need that you don't currently have through mapping, through GIS um, and as well? So I think it starts with listening to the teachers and that's the approach we have taken. We haven't pushed the technology on them, but sort of a responsive to the things we're hearing from the teachers. Um, so that I think really helps the listening part. Um, I think the second part is the dynamic nature of the content. We use a lot of content through geo inquiries through Esri and also um, some of the lessons that are up on ArcGIS online from others. And I think what, what people and teachers in particular really respond to is they respond to seeing their their students respond, that they respond to seeing the smiles on the faces. You mentioned the, the 375 kids at GIS Day at UCF. Um, all the teachers were excited because their kids were excited. They were engaged and it was, it was so hands-on. So my advice to your listeners is make sure that what you do is hands-on. Um, because at the end of the day, I think sometimes, and, and I've been guilty of this in my, in my work as well, we get in front of a podium and we just talk, 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 talk. And we show slide after slide after slide. And here's all the great things you can do with GIS. That's wonderful. But no one wants to just see what you can do. They want to do what you can do, right? So to, to kind of say, take the tool, right? Whether it's an interactive touch screen on a tablet, whether it's a visualization wall, or whether it's a mini drone, let the kids and teachers play with that stuff, try to break it and use it, right? Because that's where the learning happens. That's where the smiles come. And, and once you're able to do that, it breaks down the barrier between 
um, you know, working with a teacher or not working with a teacher. So that to me is where the buy-in really comes in is that excitement and that passion at the end of the day with the kids. Indeed. And that's why really all of us in education went into education is that uh, we do, uh, we want to inspire, encourage, learn from. I mean, I learned so much more teaching GIS. I'm sure you can relate teaching geography, teaching um, environmental science than I ever did really as a student. I mean, I learned some, but I've learned so much more as an instructor. Uh, it just learned so much from your colleagues, from your students. And like you say, modeling lifelong learning too is important, right? None of us know the gamut of any of these disciplines or sub-disciplines even. <laughs> yeah. and, and you mentioned the you mentioned the emphasis on students there. And I think that's really also really important with your K through 12 teachers is don't forget the most important thing. We are serving kids, right? And in, in the K through 12 setting. So, you know, when you engage in a GIS learning activity or a drone activity with with K through 12 students, instead of saying to the teacher, how did that go? ask the students, right? What did they love about it? What did they get most excited about? What didn't work? And, and I think, you know, we and, and some of the programs are doing like our GeoBus program here at UCF, we're creating a youth advisory board where kids can actually drive what we're doing and, and give us feedback. And, and you know what, if it doesn't work for them, it's not gonna work for us at the end of the day. So how do we work together to get kid input and in what we do as well? I think that's so important in this kind of work. Oh, indeed, sir. Uh, could you, for the benefit of the listeners, just a, give them a little snippet of the geo bus? <laughs> a little snippet for a, a big bus. Okay, so the, the geo bus is a really big idea. Um, it is a 42-foot-long city bus that has been donated by Lynx Bus Company. Thank you, Lynx. Lynx is the big service provider for Central Florida and Orlando. Um, we've been in a partnership conversation with them for many months and we've just finalized the deal um, here in the next few days to have one of their buses donated. And what we did was we took this 42 foot city bus and with their help took out all the seats inside. And what we're gonna be doing, we're gonna be working with another partner to fill the inside of the bus with a mobile geospatial lab. And this lab is gonna visit schools, it's gonna park in schools, parking lots, and we're gonna set up shop for however long a school wants to keep us. And, and basically it's gonna be a field trip on wheels to the school. And in that experience, kids will, um, the highlight of the experience, there are two real highlights. One is we're gonna have a giant interactive geo visualization wall in the back of the bus. Think like hundreds of iPads connected together, right? We're gonna have several large screens that are interactive touch enabled and kids will be doing things on ArcGIS online and other type of platforms, um, engaging in geospatial analysis on the bus. We also will have an augmented reality sandbox where, you know, if you haven't seen these for your listeners, there are actual sandboxes that project digital topography and elevation lines on top of them. And so you can learn more about uh, contours and topography and elevation issues as well. Um, we'll also have mini drones outside of the bus where kids will become pilots. They'll learn how to fly mini drones over Lego city models of coastal communities, uh, mimicking what we do with our drone work. They'll also be using virtual reality goggles. So you name it, it's on the bus. If it's an in-demand geospatial technology, kids will be experiencing it. And I think what's cool about this bus is, you know, I, I think back to my own days when I was a kid in, in grade school, and I think back now to my kids and, who are, um, I have a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a seven-month-old. And, and I think, what, what are the things we remember most as kids 
it's the cool big things, right? Like I remember when I was a kid, um, the um, drug enforcement officer came to school and he let us sit in the back of his car and talked about how we shouldn't use drugs. You remember those bigger, exciting moments. And so for us, we said, let's get a big bus. It'll be exciting. It'll be maptastic and people will remember it. And so that's what it's all about. It's about spreading that passion, bringing those technologies to schools, especially schools that either don't have those technologies or they don't quite have the capacity to teach them. So um, part of the GeoBus experience will also engage with teachers. We'll have a teacher advisory board where they'll enhance what we do, but also become trained, kind of the train the trainer model will, where that GeoBus stop will turn into a longer term set of lesson plans um, as well. So we're super excited to be doing that. And um, we're also very excited to have a commitment from um, your boss, Jack Dangerman at, at Esri. Uh, to be a, a key partner on the bus as well, providing some Esri content and, and ArcGIS online licensing. Um, we're so excited about that partnership as well. As cool as the Partridge family bus was, yours <laughs> is going to be even cooler than that. Uh, I know I'm dating myself there, but anyway, the, having worked with the Maui digital bus people for years, I know what an impact that has made there, and you are just going above and beyond. So, I also would encourage the listeners that, you know, listen to what Dr. Hawthorne is saying. He's not afraid to work with the School of Education, uh, faculty in sociology and beyond. And he's also not afraid to work with K-12. I know not a lot of incentives are there for a lot of university professors to actually work actively with the, with the primary and secondary educational community. And so I'm wondering, do you get a lot of support from your dean, your provost, et cetera, to do this kind of thing? Absolutely. And I think that's what's really cool about being in a place like UCF is we have actually trademarked the term America's Partnership University. And we take that very seriously. It's in our strategic plan. It's in um, the documents we read up for tenure and promotion. Um, I'm in the process of going through tenure promotion now to associate professor this year. And one of the things that was written up in my narrative and also in my evaluative comments for my committees is this focus on partnership is really at the key of what I do as a researcher and as an educator. And so I think, I think the key here is recognizing that partnerships, public scholarship, outreach, all of these kind of elements can really help higher education institutions kind of take it to the next level and also, you know, help combat some of those critiques of higher education. You know, I'd love to say we live in a perfect world, but we don't, right? Higher education is continually under attack. It's continually being defunded. And I think this kind of scholarship that's more outward facing, whether it be K through 12 work or public scholarship more broadly, um, it really responds to that and says, you know what, we do have value, right? We do have um, impact in our local communities and our states. And you need to take us seriously as educators because we are trying to make a difference. We are trying to be open and inclusive in what we do. And so I think that's, that's my advice to educators is the value is showing folks outside of the academic realm that science does matter, it has impact, and that most importantly, it includes lots of voices, right? And I think that's, that's what's uh, kind of cool about um, focusing on that in, in terms of um, the potential for growth in those areas. I love it, sir. Thank you for sharing that. And also, I would just encourage folks to, as if you're interested in, you know, working with primary and secondary, I mean, building on what Dr. H is saying here, we've had some modest success over the years, most of which is actually with in-service teachers, you know, teachers that are already in the profession. And I think, again, one of the innovative, you know, forward-thinking things that you're doing is with working with the education faculty there at UCF, 
you're planting those pre-service educators with, oh, these tools exist, this data exists. I don't have to confine myself to, you know, kind of like you're saying, coming back to what are you actually teaching? Well, I'm teaching a unit and I've got this little tiny map in a corner of my 1975 textbooks. I mean, nothing against the Bee Gees. I love the Bee Gees. But anyway, the point is you don't have to do that, right? You've got, you've got these tools at your fingertips, but not just because they're there, but because it could enhance what you're actually teaching about population change or oceans or whatever it is. So I love that whole, you know, working with pre-service. I remember the first year and a half that I taught GIS at uh, Metro State University in Colorado, uh, you know, fresh out of grad school and so on. I used my, I heavily used my notes. So I, I taught how I was taught from Ling Bian, who's now at the University of Buffalo and some other stars. But I actually, you know, the, the whole I was living what people always say, you, you, you teach in, in some degree how you were taught. So if you're influencing these teachers-to-be with some of these tools and data sets and techniques, I think that's just going to be wonderful seeds planted. Yeah, absolutely. I think with the, with the pre-service teacher focus, I mean, the, the, the bottom line is I, I've yet to meet somebody that isn't excited to use GIS once they understand what GIS can do, right? And that's the key is is a lot of people aren't exposed to this early on. And so for us to be able to get out there to a college of education and say, this is a tool you can use, man, that you, you were here for that day when we had the teacher workshop, mm -hmm. um, people were smiling and excited because they saw it as something that they could put into their toolkit for their, for their kids and, and for their, um, their school systems. Yeah. And even for uh, higher ed faculty, community college, university, technical college, it, if, if we approach it circling back to what you were saying before as here's something that's, neat and cool, but you've got all, you know, they, they, they immediately will say, and rightly so, well, thanks, but I've got enough to do. Thank you very much. But if, but if it's framed in such a way that this is actually something that can help you meet your goals as an educator, why you actually went into teaching in the first place or instruction, then it's, oh, I've always wanted to teach in a meaningful way about plate tectonics, let's say, or natural hazards or whatever it is. And now I can, we're never saying it's the only way you can do it, but it is a viable way and it's not going to go away because the where question is always important. So yeah, absolutely. Love what you're saying here in these messages. All right, sir. Well, Anything that you'd want to add that we didn't touch on that you really want to uh, share with, with the Directions Magazine audience before we close out? Yeah, you know, I, you know I'll, I'll just underscore what I said before, and that's, I think, just remember that as, as geospatial technology teachers, educators, users, analysts, whatever you are in this audience is, recognize that you have a power and a responsibility. Like, like Uncle Ben said to Spider-Man in the Spider-Man trilogies, right? It's we have a great responsibility and that comes a, a, a huge power and, and sets of responsibility. And so we have a, a tool set, a mindset as geospatial thinkers that, that can really open up um, the ability for people to visualize and communicate complex ideas in more simplistic ways to, to bridge a, bro or a broader audience. And I think that's what it's all about is, is getting people in the room, getting them talking getting them thinking spatially. And so I continue to encourage your listeners to, to keep on keeping on. They're doing great work. We're all doing great work. And, and let's keep uh, rocking the free world with, uh, with GIS. 
Onward, sir. Thank you very much, Dr. Hawthorne. Much appreciated. Thank you to you and your audience, Joseph. I really appreciate it. There you have it, folks. That was Dr. Timothy Hawthorne from the University of Central Florida with us on Directions Magazine, Geo Inspirations. Thanks for joining us.